Hello and welcome back to Not A Perfect Parent, the podcast where we share the extraordinary wisdom of ordinary parents. Today I am very lucky to be talking to Julie. It's really quite difficult not to have your heart warmed listening to Julie. She is a wedding celebrant and a funeral celebrant. She is mum, stepmum and nana. And she takes us through her journey of parenting from babyhood to adulthood. The power of not fixing and why it's sometimes a good idea to let your toddler leave home. Please be aware that part of Julie's story of motherhood is the loss of two babies through miscarriage and of her daughter Catherine who was born asleep. Please take care of yourself and if you feel that Julie's journey will be difficult for you to hear, you may choose not to listen to this episode. Hi Julie. Hi Jess, how are you? I'm well, thank you so much for coming on Not A Perfect Parent. My pleasure I think. (laughs) (laughs) Can we start with a little bit about your parenting journey so far? Uh, Yes, okay. So I have three daughters, Catherine, Meg and Beth, and then I have two stepsons, Dave and Matt, daughter-in-law Kaylee, four grandchildren from the boys. So that's Jess, um, James, Lila and Molly. And then I'm dog mum to Dolly and Bert. (laughs) I can't forget that. (laughs) So typical Sunday lunch is 14 of us. Wow, big, fun, family chaos. It's just lovely. Sounds a bit cliche, I suppose. I do feel very blessed. It hasn't always been an an easy journey. Getting the girls wasn't an easy journey. And what were your expectations or what was your idea about what being a mum would be before you started your family? I used to tease my ex-mother-in-law saying I was going to be a cat mum and that was all I was going to do. I was never going to have children. They were always on the radar. My first husband and I were married for quite a while before we tried. Um, A couple of years, we had great fun and we travelled and stuff like that. So, yeah, we were ready. I was 27. He was 32-ish. Yeah, he was a couple of years older than me. Um, and we were ready. We had our home. We travelled. We had a nice car. We had all the nice things. Like, oh, right now, the next, the next thing we're going to do is start a family. And think I'd go to plan, shall we say? It was difficult to say the least. And what was that journey like for you both? Had you expected that it would be easier than it was? Oh yeah, because you do, don't you? I think most people. Unless they've been seen firsthand people's struggles, I don't, and I hadn't. Oh, yeah, just have a baby, it'll all be fine. I have had a miscarriage, a baby born asleep, another miscarriage, and then Meg. Wow. So, yeah, it was tough. It was really, really tough, particularly the, it was all horrible, don't get me wrong, but when I miscarried, For the second time after having Catherine, my baby who was born asleep, I found out then at that point there'd been a lot of things had gone wrong during her caesarean, which maybe, maybe not. We can't, nobody will ever know at what point she did die. But because they didn't operate quick enough in theatre because there was procedures not followed, let's put it that way, 
Um, there's a delay of half an hour. And that half an hour was crucial, obviously, to get her out. And she 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 died while she was inside me waiting to be born, which is tragic really. 30 years ago this year. So yeah, but she's she's around. And saying you learn to live with it, it doesn't really make sense, but you do. You do, but she's forgotten. She's part of our lives, as in we acknowledge birthdays, we acknowledge her at Christmas, we um we talk about her, even to the grandchildren. They know who she is. They know Nana had a baby before Auntie Maggie. They they all know about her and they all love her in, in whatever form they see fit, really, I suppose. I can't imagine what that was like for you, especially as you had already suffered a loss. How do you begin to move through something like that? Well, there was very little support back then. Um, as I say, 30 years ago, and things have moved on in leaps and bounds, which is incredible. And I'm so pleased about that. We had support in the hospital. They were wonderful. The midwives were incredible. And they were absolutely incredible and really did support us. But then you come home, don't you? And you're almost treated a bit like a leper. People don't want to talk to you. They pass you in the street or they cross the road. A couple of people did who I'd been in prenatal classes with, etc. Because it wasn't talked about like it is now. People were far less open back then. And I sound like I'm talking about the dark ages. In some respects, I am. Because unless you've actually been through what we'd faced, and that's Phil as much as me. It was his child too, his children too. But people are far more open now. And I can remember she was a health visitor, came to visit, see how I was. It was her first visit. She sat down, I made her a cup of tea, and she cried all the way through. She cried. And I don't just mean, oh, Julie, I'm so sorry, and shed a tear, and then pulled herself together and supported me. There was no support at all. I basically supported her. Wow. And, and couldn't wait to get her out the door. But my friends were amazing. Phil was amazing. Family were amazing. And they pulled ranks and they supported as best they could. I worked for Marks and Spencers at the time, and they were fantastic too. Offered lots of counselling support if I wanted it and take as much leave. Because because the ironic thing was because she died, they had to change me from maternity leave to sick leave. And that, so everything changes, or, or everything changed. And... I went in to see the HR director at the time and I just said, I I don't believe you're doing this. I am still a mum. She might not be here, but I'm still a mum. And she said, absolutely, Julie, we will be changing this. And they changed it because of Catherine. So that, in that respect, it was good. And they gave me as much leave as I needed. And they paid me as well, which is always a helpful bonus. Um but yeah, it was tough. It was really, really tough. And then miscarrying again after that. When I miscarried after Catherine, I can, I was so angry. I was angry with the world, the hospital, with life, with everything. That's when my anger came out. And I wasn't, wasn't a particularly nice person to be around for a little while. And that's absolutely understandable, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I'm surprised it took so long to come out, but it did. 
And it's heartbreaking to hear that because people didn't know what to say, I suppose, that that was even more isolating for you because they didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. What did help at that time? What is there anything that can help when somebody is going through something so difficult? You acknowledge what they're going through, whether you understand it, you feel it, whatever it might be, whoever they've lost, whatever they've lost. I think acknowledging and being there, not trying to fix it because you can't fix it. And I suppose asking the question, what can I do? what can I do? And generally people, oh, nothing, nothing. But even if it's going around and making them a cup of tea or taking, I know it sounds, again, another cliche, taking dinner around if it's a casserole or yeah, a lasagna or something that you've baked for them or a cake you've baked for them. This is it. Stick it in the freezer if you don't want it now. Taking their dogs for a walk if, if they've got dogs or, or helping hand with the children if they've got little ones. Doing the washing, doing the ironing, anything to just take one of those burdens of everyday life away from them. Mm. And if they're huggy people, just go and sit and give a hug and hold the hand and listen and just listen without trying to fix it or sympathise, empathise, unless you've actually been through it yourself. Just sit and listen and let them hold that space to talk freely about their loved one. Yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing, the practical stuff and also just the sitting and listening. So you had already been through so much as a mum when Meg came along. Oh, God, yeah, little Meg, yeah. She was the sunshine of everybody's lives. Yeah, so much held on to this pregnancy, God lover. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'd actually told the consultant there was absolutely no way on earth I was going into labour again. Are you going to do a cesarean? And he wasn't very forthcoming at first. <laughs> and there's a, a bit of a story that Phil used to tell people was, he said, Julie, you might as well have pinned him up against the wall, grabbed his balls and said, listen, bollocks, this is what we're doing. <laughs> He said there was no deviating. You had a plan and that's what we do. And to be fair, he backed down and said, okay, that's what we'll do. And then he said, and he actually used Catherine's name, which I won't ever forget. He said, right, Catherine was born in July. This baby will be born in June. So it's a completely separate month. And this is what we'll do. We took her, I think she was born at something like 37 and a half weeks-ish. Yeah, it wasn't quite 38. And she was born at 37 and a half weeks and it was the 20, 29th of June and Catherine's birthday was the 18th of July. So they had completely separate months, which was, I'd never considered that. She came in the world. She was, she was actually going to be called Grace. She didn't come in gracefully. She came in yelling <laughs> her head off. <laughs> so, no, she did not come in gracefully at all, no. So uh, her name was Meg. <laughs> Meg Megan, six pound four ounces of beautifulness <laughs> yeah she she made me feel complete she made me feel whole and I was terrified of this bundle though Jess terrified of her what if I do something wrong what if I hurt her all the typical things that every mum feels but yeah oh my god she lit my world up 
I was noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Very noisy. Uh, Yeah, she was beautiful. Is beautiful. (laughs) 27 now. Did you find that you took easily to those early days with her? No, it was very difficult. Like I said, just I was terrified of her. I was terrified of getting it wrong because in some hidden depths, I suppose I felt I got it wrong with Catherine. Not that it was my fault at all, but subconsciously it's the nonsense can sort of creep through, can't it? I had a bit of postnatal depression, nothing major, but I was really low and struggled. But I found our vibe. I found how we muddled along and we did. We muddled along lovely. She became allergic to milk, to formula. I couldn't breastfeed, which was, I was really sad about that because I really wanted to, but it didn't work for us at all. So she went on the bottle and then started projecting vomiting everywhere. It was awful. Oh, no. Yeah, it was horrid. So she went on to soy milk <clears throat> and she did that till, we did that till she was about 12 months old and then they started saying introduce some dairy, which we did. And yeah, she was grand, but uh, yeah, the projectile vomiting was not nice. <laughs> how old was Meg when Beth was born? Three and a half. And how was that to have two under three and a half? Well, I was on the pill when I got pregnant with Beth, so be warned, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> she um, she was a surprise, and. Oh, she she was just beautiful. She came out with this. She's got beautiful hair now, bright red hair. And she came out with it in a Mohican when she was <laughs> She was always going to be a Beth Ann. Beth, as we call her, or Auntie B, as she's known to the grandchildren. I can see her in my mind's eye now on a, a little walker, whizzing around like a loon, bashing into everything. Yeah, she was awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> and that was it. No more. No more. That was that was it. No, I was sterilised after that. <laughs> so for you, that decision was really clear. It was you yes. knew as soon as you had your third child. Absolutely, because every day of each pregnancy, I was absolutely terrified of things going wrong. Even with Beth. When I say even with Beth, it was a pregnancy and pregnancy hadn't gone right for me. Okay, yeah, I had Meg and I felt truly, truly blessed having Meg. And then when Beth came along and I had a new consultant, I was thinking, oh, he's just going to say, you've had one healthy pregnancy. Anyway, he sat down and he closed my notes and he just said, well, all I'm going to say is you're one very brave lady. And however we can facilitate this being easy for you, we will. So, yeah, it, it had changed an awful lot. And he very much held my hand, not literally, but he gave me his card and said, if you're scared, you call me. Here's my my secretary's number if you need to make another appointment. It's like being private. He was amazing. But that's how it should be for everybody. Heartwarming to hear because you often do hear the opposite, that women don't feel that they've been heard and don't feel supported in the way that they want to we hear staff not being able to support women the way that they want to yeah yeah Um, so that's wonderful to hear it was and I used to go every month to be scanned on a clinic with him as I say I could go in between if I needed to and I can remember going on a scheduled monthly one Phil was with me 
and I was due a scan, had bloods done, all the typical stuff, and then waiting for my scan. And um, the stenographer came out. She wasn't a particularly nice lady, and she just said, I don't know why we bother doing these, because if we do it today, you're just going to be terrified again tomorrow. So what's the point? Oh, went, my goodness. That, and that's how she spoke to me. And Phil and I just looked at each other and went, okay. So I went in and he said, I haven't got your scan. I said, she would scan me because I'm going to be terrified tomorrow. And wow. Off he stormed. You could hear the roar from the office. He really gave it what for. Anyway, her colleague scanned me and she just said, I'm so sorry about that. I've no idea what's got into her. I'm so sorry. It's not our business how often you're scanned. If we're told to scan you every day, we scan you every day. So that was the only negative thing we we sort of faced during Beth's pregnancy. However, I did actually go into labour and she came a month early. Beth had her own idea. She still has her own idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's not changed one little bit. So she decided to come early um, on the 5th of February instead of, I think it was the 29th of February, I think she was due. So good three, nearly four weeks early. So off we go. I called the hospital. Right, come straight in. So I went in. And they ushered me into a delivery room. And Phil said, we need to get out of this room. I went, what? We need to get out of this room now. I'm like, okay. So I just we just walked out of there. And I said, can we have another room? We got into the other room. I said, what was that about? He said, that was Catherine's room. He remembered because I don't. I don't remember that part of it at all because it was all rush and drugs and I don't remember much but he was compass mentis he remembered every detail so for him that was really difficult anyway they they found us another room and all was good and they left me ticking along and we were fine she was she was eager to come but I didn't sort of have a fast labor she was she we I was laboring but not in any fierce way if you like she was born at a couple of minutes to six <laughs> and she's 24 and she came out with her red mohican very <laughs> very best even from sort of a tiny child she still has those qualities that she had when she was a baby that's amazing isn't it yeah it is really when you stop and think about it because we don't often do we she is who she is She's amazing. <laughs> I love my girl. You can tell, can't you? I As can, yeah. <laughs> it's well, we're both um I mean nobody can see us, but we're both sat here with these big grins because it's infectious, <laughs> isn't it? I'm feeling it through the through the, yeah. your voice. So when like all of us, have you felt like not a perfect parent? Oh, blimey, so many <laughs> god when your three-year-old packs a little overnight bag and says that's it i'm leaving home tell her stop her and i'm like let's just let her go we lived in a cul-de-sac in the middle of a day and it was very quiet thankfully i think it was a sunday or something like that but you could see if you looked out of meg's bedroom window you could see right up the road and around the corner so i'm okay would you like me to pack you any sandwiches? Yes, please, mummy. I made a little butty box. Okay, when are you coming back? I do not know. I'm leaving. And where are you going to go? I do not know. I'm leaving. 
Okay, sweetheart. Well, I will miss you. Goodbye. Goodbye, mummy. <laughs> She's gone up the road with a little pull case. She'll kill me for this. Meg remembers it. She was hysterical. So we're looking out the window and I'm like, there she is. She stopped. She stopped at the top of the road and was looking down the cul-de-sac. And she was sat down on the curbside with her little bag. She got her sandwiches out. She's eating a sandwich and she's got a little juice, put some back in. And you can see her literally thinking, oh, if she had a, one of those bubbles coming out of her head, it would have been, oh, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Oh, I think I'll go home. And she came in and I'd left the door unlo unlocked. Mummy, I'm home. Okay, sweetheart, lovely. And that was it. But when she said, that's it, I'm leaving home, it's like, oh, God. It turns out quite funny, but there's there's been occasions. What a great way of dealing with that situation, though. I've got a two-year-old daughter, and she is fierce and fearless, and I'm going to have to mm. do that because the temptation is to be like, no, you can't, but actually you found a way she could do it safely. She made yeah. her own choice to come back. That is genius, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it wasn't easy, and I don't know where it came from, but it was like, oh, flip that. I'm just going to... What do I do? I don't yeah. know what I do. I don't know what to do with this child. And I think, yeah, <laughs> there's been some challenges along the way with with them both in one way or another. I, I was in a, in a not a particularly nice relationship. And for seven years after me and the dad, the girl's dad, divorced. And that was difficult. So going backwards and forwards to their dads and I felt I did feel like a rubbish mom. I did feel like I'd let them down. That they were living that way. As I say, it's makes twenty seven, so it was like a good twenty five years ago now. And not many of my other friends were going through that. Although in latter years some did. And, and some of the friends were, that was the norm. That's what they did. They went to their dads at the weekend or every other weekend. So that was difficult to, to navigate in a lot of ways, most emotionally and practically. So, yeah, I felt I let them down then. By them living in the two homes? Yeah, them living between two homes. And, of course, there was a huge amount of animosity and hurt and, and anger towards the, their dad at that point. So that was really difficult as well. To let them go to somebody who I, who I'd absolutely adored and then really hated him on, on like a flick of a switch, so that was hard letting them go. But as everything, you get used to it and you find your way through it. It's a bit sticky and muddy at first, but yeah, you never get your way through it, and and you get a routine going. And I think once there's a routine, and everybody knows which part they're playing within that, it's a lot easier for everybody. A lot easier for everybody. Such a lot to go through when parenting two young children is more than a full-time job before you've even started. And then if you're going through something so difficult and that loss for yourself. Yes. Yeah it, yeah, it was. It was difficult. I had support from my in-laws for a while and then that changed. And as she'd been sort of my primary caregiver with the girls, it was really difficult, really difficult. But I found them lovely, lovely childcare. 
help. And my friends were amazing. They, they really helped out an awful lot until I got sorted. They really helped out. You know, they stepped up and everything. You do what you have to do, don't you? You sort of go into survival mode, don't you, I think, to a degree. And also, almost, well, for me anyway, I found that my feelings got put on the back burner until I'd sorted the girls out. Until I knew they were safe and well and comfortable and happy, I could then sort of internalise a little bit and look about myself. But sometimes I just shut the lid back on because I'm like, I'm not even going there. <laughs> it was easier not to go there sometimes. And there's so many people, isn't there? It's like you say, you do what you have to do. And then you look back and you say, I did what I had to do. But when I hear a story like that, I I think it's astonishing and how many people are going through similar things and how much strength that takes and how difficult that is to work and juggle and single parent what an amazing achievement and obviously your girls are really successful and lovely people I'm a very proud mum I am very proud of them and I think how the hell did I do that (laughs) somebody said to me a while ago oh you know they're an absolute credit to you (laughs) she was lovely she said no nonsense from their father he didn't do any important except the glory bits at weekends she said but you brought those girls up on your own they are amazing I'm like oh thanks It, it makes me smile when I think about the girls and what beautiful young women they are regardless of the the success they've done in their careers I'm just glad they're happy and they've turned into lovely people with lovely values and they're just lovely people do you celebrate your part in that I probably don't know do they oh god yeah they think I'm amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah they do Beth yeah I did um I did a wedding last week and I did something I don't normally do. I did a little video of myself in the car on the post-wedding high. It had been tipping it down. I was in my raincoat. My hair was been draggled a lot. And I just did this video just saying how great it had been. And this, that, and the other. It got posted onto Instagram. And I got this little message off Beth. Oh, my God, Mum, you're so cute. <laughs> and you know what? Made my day. Oh. my day, and she was showing it to all her friends because she works in Manchester and she was showing it to all her pals and they've all started following me on Instagram I'm like oh my god I'm cool <laughs> for a moment <laughs> but yeah I suppose answer to your question no I don't <laughs> and what do you think it's a big question but what do you think you've learned from your parenting journey you've already talked about so many lessons what have I learned I think the key thing is expect the unexpected (laughs) such a good one (laughs) expect the unexpected things can change on the sixpence as my grandma used to say and they do Children along through one set of phase of their let's go back to toddlerhood if you like because that's the easiest and then all of a sudden that routine changes and it's like wham what the hell you liked that yesterday and today it's like something I'm trying to poison you get over yourself but it's 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 the change and be prepared to change 
your tactics or your plan or plans are rubbish, aren't they, when you've got little ones? They just, you just, yeah, it's just try and relax and go with the flow, really, I guess. I think that, and I've, I think I've tried to do that with a lot of things in my life because things don't go to plan. All good intentions and everything else, and they don't. And you just have to go with it and not not sweat the small stuff. How has mumming changed for you as your girls become adult? They're my besties, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in lockdown, Meg and I used to FaceTime each other and do our housework together. Oh, or bake together or just be together because she was down in Tunbridge so in Kent so she wasn't coming home we didn't see her for 18 months mm. so like physically squidger Beth came home for, for a period during lockdown which Beth and I learned a lot about ourselves each other during that period and as Beth got older we had a bit of a clash of personalities I think is probably the best way of putting it and we didn't have a very good relationship I loved her dearly and she loved me but it was difficult she was going through so much turmoil but during lockdown I'd either read it somewhere or heard it somewhere on the radio or something and she was she was in a bit of a dark place and I didn't know what to do and I just said to her this one day I said look I really want to fix this for you, but I don't know if you want, that's what you want me to do. So tell me, do you want me to fix it or do you just want to hug me to listen? Just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. She said, I just want you to listen. So I sat and I listened and that changed and shifted the whole relationship. Literally just a sentence shifted our relationship into a beautiful mom-daughter friendship. And it did literally, and that's all it took to understand what she needed from me that's the fear isn't it is that you can get into that kind of pattern with a child and not be able to find your way out because it can feel really trapping and actually that different perspective willingness to see that different perspective can be what it really needs to heal so you don't need to have all the answers as the parent necessarily because we don't do we we're a work in progress ourselves so, you know, you, you can pass on your knowledge and you can share experiences and you can this and you can that, but that child is their own person. Whatever it is they're going through, whether it's a hissy fit because they don't want fish fingers or, you know, their heart's broken because they've broken up with a partner and they, you don't know how to fix it because the first instinct is to fix it. And it's learning to stand back from that when that's yeah. not what's needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what's your piece of wisdom Julie out of all of them (laughs) and your parenting takeaway what do you wish someone had said to you whatever you do it'll all work out it'll all be good they will grow you won't kill them you won't poison them if you don't do everything by the book it'll be all right put the book in the bin put the book in the bin book in the bin and go with your feelings it's so nice to I mean you've got so much wisdom Julie it's so (laughs) nice to kind of 
think there's so much we can learn from each other, isn't there? Like you say, no matter how old your kids are, if they're 60, you're still parenting, you're still learning, I'm sure. Mm. Um, mm. I do think there's a lot that um, we at the beginning of our journey can learn from people further down the road. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had to let them go, haven't I? And the first stage of that is letting them go to school and that that sort of big thing. And then they love the teacher more than they love mum or miss this, miss that. And then they go from that to either leaving home or university, whichever they choose to do. Mine did one of each. And it was heartbreaking absolutely gut-wrenching from leaving home but you navigate yourself through you you just do and then I can remember the first first time Meg came home from university she was down in London she got the train home probably Octoberish half term whenever that was and I thought she's gonna be full of the joys and she came she ran to me and she cried in my arms for 10 minutes on the station platform and I'm like, oh, no, oh, she hates it. And she hated it. It was a plan of her since she was 12 to go to London Fashion College and be a fashion designer. And she hated it. Wow. So we had to navigate almost for 12 months her way of getting over that. But she did. But... It, you know, you let them go and then they come back. And then, and it's like your relationship, not just them coming back home and going again, your friendship with your child changes to the point teenage years, oh, the angst is horrible. It's awful. And if you're going through that, anybody, I feel your pain. Oh, it's tough. But they do come back to you. I didn't believe that, but my mum kept saying that. She'll come back. And she didn't mean physically, she meant metaphorically, she will come back to you. And she did. Both of them did. And I have lovely, lovely friendships with them both. My best friends, a pair of them. That's gorgeous. And that's what we all hope for, isn't it? So yeah, it yeah. can be hard to celebrate yourself, but there's nothing to celebrate more than that, is there? I couldn't want for any more in our friendship, really. It's lovely. They they live their lives. I don't sort of, you know, I'm not sort of, don't do this, don't. They they do their thing. They ask if they want to ask. And I tell them I'm honest. Sometimes they don't like that, but they know if they're going to ask, they will get an honest answer. But generally, they don't need to. They they know. They, they know it in their hearts what they need to do. It's lovely being a mum. Oh, yeah, there's no better role in life than being a mom is there anything that you would speak to for anybody who's navigating step family as well oh <laughs> yeah um oh, again we were very very lucky with how that turned out because the boys and the girls they love each other dearly and they call each other brothers and sisters and they do and they did that from pretty early on However, the boys are all sort of like the next generation up to the girls and they weren't living at home when we moved in with Mike. It was amazing. It really was. They, they accepted me with open arms and Mike bribed the girls with chocolate and sweets and money. So, yeah, of course, <laughs> lots, lots alike. 
<laughs> he's all right, Mummy. He bought us a pub ice cream, some chocolate, and he's given us a pie for it. Yeah, you can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> it would have won me over. Yeah, I think it would win most kids over, wouldn't it, really? But no, he is a he is an amazing stepfather to my girls. He loves them unconditionally like they were his own. And they have a love for him too. They do. They tell him often that they love him. It's amazing. I mean, it wasn't easy with Beth at first. She was, when we moved into his house, she didn't like changes because she had a lot of upheaval, I suppose. Changed house, move away from friends, new school. She didn't want to do any of that. And then she came home from school one day with a letter from school and chucked it on the table. It's about a school trip to America and to New York and then skiing. And I know I won't be able to go. So, you know, <laughs> there it is. And he looked at it. He went, why can't you go? Well, my mum can't afford it. Well, no, mum, maybe mum can't on her own. But perhaps if I help out, she can. Really? Yeah. Let's sit down and talk about it. So he's very calming and he's very like, let's sit down and talk about it. You know, he inherited two teenage girls. He'd had boys. He's like, holy hell. That's <laughs> impressive. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, these whirlwinds came into my life, he said, and just took over the place. Girl stuff everywhere. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> but no, he, he is a tremendous, tremendous stepfather. He's he doesn't always get it right. None of us do, do we? But he does his best and he wants to do his best by them and he loves them. And I feel very, very lucky that he does because I know it's not always like that. I think the thing with you, Julie, is that you just ooze this love and this warmth. And I think <laughs> you credit everybody else, but you, you're part of the reason that there's 14 at you. At your table, aren't you? Yeah, they say it's the gravy, really. <laughs> <laughs> they just come for the gravy and the pudding. <laughs> I think um, it's amazing because we, when you see that and you see how, how how you talk about your family with such love, I think it's everything that we've talked about has been incredibly challenging, and you've moved through that with that char very characteristic love <laughs> yeah and you know I mean Dave and Matt made it easy for us they really did as in they were welcoming they were accepting they were they were just amazing and they are beautiful boys men God, call them boys can I they're grown men now God will kill me <laughs> I love them like they were my own I really really do and the strangest thing, and I have it somewhere written down, you know, in your prenatal books, before you know what you're having, the names I wanted for boys was either David or Matthew. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And there they are. And what about being a nana? Oh, God, it's the best. Because <laughs> you can <laughs> give them back. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all the fun God. yeah 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 they're just the four of them are just also different their own little personalities and I can't say little Jess is 11 she's just gone up to high school James is nine Lila's seven Molly's four 
And I have Molly and Lila every Monday and Wednesday after school, pick them up from school. We, they, I do their tea and we bake and we colour and we watch rubbish telly. <laughs> we, we stand outside in the rain. Lila loves the dipping tank. Does she? she loves it. Oh, my God, yeah. She's so, like, such a daredevil is Lila. Molly's not so much so. She'll have a little go, but Jess just looks at me and rolls her eyes. <laughs> um, but she loves to come in the salon with me, the dog room salon, when I'm, when I'm doing some dogs. And James, oh, he's lovely. He's into tag rugby at the moment. He's adorable. It's lovely. And then, obviously, so at some point... All being well, we'll have grandchildren from the girls if that's what they choose. Recommend it to anybody. It's been absolute joy and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing and thanks for being on Not a Perfect Parent. That's great because I'm not, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you and the rest of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's a good club to be in, isn't it? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Not A Perfect Parent. Come back again next week for the extraordinary wisdom of another ordinary parent. And if you've got a story to share and don't we all, get in touch.